Hello, everyone. I'm Trent Luce. Welcome to another edition of Rural Routes, the program where we gather every day at this time. Diane Sullivan, we do it Monday through Friday. And what we do when we gather is we address the issues between rural and urban America. I think this week we've done a pretty good job of uh, painting the picture that rural America is pretty much status quo. We continue to take care of animals. We continue to feed products into the food supply chain. And I thought it was only fitting, mostly because she's been top of mind for me this week, wondering how Diane Sullivan, Boston, Massachusetts, is getting along. Diane, how are you? I'm doing okay, Trent. You know, just um, here in Boston, trying to stay connected to efforts on the local level um, and how my community is responding to the needs of people. Um, And, of course, following what's happening uh, both on the state level and, of Mm -hmm. course, on the national stage um, and how the federal government is responding to this unprecedented um, event that we find ourselves in. And how do you assess the general demeanor of people in your community? Calm? Um, You know, of course, yeah, there's a lot of fear. Um, of course, you know, as humans, we tend to fear what we don't understand. Um, and of course, that's the state that we find ourselves in. Um, you know, I think that what's happening, of course, is, um, you know, sort of this, uh, how do we say, there's sort of a, a microscope mm-hmm. on um, crisis right now. And what we're finding is that, um, you know, low-income people across this country are right now, of course, like everybody else, doing the best that we can to prepare, um, but just without additional resources. Um, and I think that what we're what we will find is, and hopefully, this will help to elevate the conversation around low-income people here in this country um, who are every day in crisis, uh, who who every day are wondering what will happen the next day. Um, and so we find ourselves, I guess, not alone in that struggle. Um, and that's, you know, one of the things that um, I think will come out of this is, again, sort of lifting up the stories of um, people who are in this struggle every single day. For those of us in farm and ranch country, we, uh, we've been struggling. But our struggles are completely different than what I'm hearing and, and you have shared with us for years in that uh, I hear so many people today say, well, I live from paycheck to paycheck. And if I go two weeks without a paycheck, we're in trouble. You know, our mm-hmm. struggles are uh, the bank is talking about foreclosing. The bank is uh, saying, hey, you better have a good year. Uh, we don't have that struggle of that weekly paycheck. Well, we don't have a weekly paycheck, but it's just a different (laughs) scenario. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm wondering how this is going to change the discussion and how people approach living paycheck to paycheck, because that's something you know very well. Do you think that it will change it? Or my question is, will it be like 9-11? It'll be top of mind for a, a little while. And then we go back to business as usual. Yeah, of course, you know, that's the concern, that the virus will go away um, and poverty will not. And it will then sort of be blanketed by so many other things that are going on in the world. And um, and I think that it is upon those of us who advocate on behalf of low-income individuals and communities um, to really 
take control of that conversation and, and lead it into new directions. Um, you know, of course, that's a concern, and we see it all the time. You know, we see the best of people um, as they reach out to support their neighbors in times of need, right. um, and then people don't realize, you know, the people go away, but the need never goes away, right? And so I will be doing, um, you know, the best that I can to really help navigate the conversation around low-income people. You know, I, I was in D.C., a um, couple of times last month, and my first trip down there um, in February was to go and testify before a House subcommittee um, on cuts to SNAP, which, which by the way, um, a federal judge in D.C. actually, um, there are right now uh, three particular rules in the SNAP program that the first was set to go forward on April 1st. A federal judge has now said, no, we had so many comments from the public on why these cuts to SNAP are not a good idea. Um, you know, we're hearing from people speaking on behalf of a community that normally doesn't have a voice. And so the first round of cuts will not go forward April 1st. And I'm hoping that not just because of the virus, um, that going forward we're able to stop these other cuts from SNAP. Mm-hmm. And while I was there to uh, speak uh, Diane, on, can, I, can I interrupt you before you go into why you were there? Sure. What is the cut that the federal judge says is not appropriate? You're not going to do that. So right now that is the able-bodied adults without dependents, ABODs. Mm -hmm. Um, I I really dislike the term, but the ABOD rule was to go into effect on April 1st, and that would um, severely limit access to SNAP benefits for people who are unemployed or underemployed um, and do not have dependent children. There's currently a three-month um, time limit, and it would just make it more difficult for people without who are unemployed um, to access SNAP benefits, even though they would uh, be eligible. And so um, that rule will not go into effect on April 1st, but again, not because of the coronavirus, um, not because right. the administration said this is not a good time for it, but because a judge said, again, we, there were over 100,000 comments submitted on that one rule alone to the USDA. The vast majority of them were saying this is not a good idea. Um, and again, to me, what resonates is the fact that the judge said, because we heard from so many people on behalf of those who we, you know, again, normally don't have a voice in these debates. And so, you know, my being in D.C. while I was there to testify on another change to SNAP, um, another cut, the broad-based categorical eligibility cut, I was there really to talk about that policy, but to also take back the narrative. Um, You know, right now, I think what we are presented with is an opportunity for those of us with lived experience who have dealt with hunger, not because of a virus, but because this is how we live, um, to really center that conversation around us. And to talk about what those struggles are, what they look like, what they feel like, and then for us to really, you know, start really talking about and focusing on solutions. How do we get at hunger? Um, how how do we, um, you know, engage people with lived experience to help us identify the solutions? And you and I, we talk so much about food affordability, and I just want to highlight, you know, in in the shopping that I did in preparing. Um, to really lock down my household, 
I'm sure others saw it too. What what was missing from the grocery stores? Of course, you know we're accustomed here in New England to storms, right? Preparing right. for storms. Um, so sometimes we don't know if the power is going to be on. So we mm-hmm. more you know prepare for you know we've got the bread and you know things that we're not cooking. If you went into these grocery stores, the meat was gone. I still saw a lot of organic meat on the shelves. Because um, it the costs eggs more. were gone, but there were still cage free eggs on the shelf. You know, five dollars more. Cage-free eggs here in Massachusetts, or you know, you can pay a dollar. I paid a dollar fifty for a dozen and a half of eggs. And you know, when we think about you know this food debate and this, the, the affordability of our food, what is it that people are really out there looking for? And I think that if we were to look at the data from what people were buying in the grocery stores, um, again, much more tied to our wallets than than anything else. Yeah, I, I never really thought about putting it in that context. I've had people sending pictures and, uh, you know, the imitation goo, which they try to f- put off as fake meat. That's been sitting in the stores. I, I think you summarized it best without saying it just straight up. People acquired nutrition at the lowest actual cost point in a time of a crisis. Is that fair to mm-hmm. say? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think in our daily lives. You know, I I think it was really reflective of how we shop regularly. Right. Um, But especially when we don't know when our next tech is coming or if it's coming. Um, And and I think that we really, there's a lot to learn there and how people shop. And, you know, again, I I just want to say this too. I am so grateful, you know, even though I've been into grocery stores that have had empty shelves, um, there, there has been a sense of security that tomorrow they will be socked. I'm so grateful to our farmers and ranchers, um, just as I'm grateful to those who are on the front line in the hospitals, um, for really keeping our our shelves stocked. I'm 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 so grateful to the agriculture community um, for everything that it's doing, and grateful to our leaders who, I think, in a time, um, you know, again in this crisis, who are doing the best that they can in this unprecedented time. Um, but you know, I I'm hoping that. On the outset of this, um, there are a lot more people who identify and relate to um, the value that farmers and ranchers um, bring to our table every day. Diane Sullivan, my guest, we're talking about championing food affordability, whether we have a virus or not. We always have a virus. That's the point of the story. More rollout after this. Quick reminder about the Lone Creek Cattle Company bull and female sale. Long tradition of bull selling. April 18th this year, first time ever, Piedmontese females will be selling. LoneCreekCattleCo.com. It's all about the certified Piedmontese program. <laughs> Welcome back to Roll Out, Dr. Atloose, alongside Diane Sullivan, joining us from Boston, Massachusetts. The I'm just going to put her as the world's food affordability champion i just like that title okay you're the food affordability champion uh (laughs) so uh, there are stark differences between us and yet we have similarities as well and you you shared the the stark difference right off the bat because you included in your we're going to see what's going on with this covid19 uh we're going to see what the federal government's response is I, that's the last thing on my mind. What is this federal or state government's response? I just don't even think about the government being involved, and but it, it just speaks to the difference in mindset that you and I have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and I definitely see it as government's responsibility um, to step in. And again, this is not just about low-income people right now, right? This is about, um, you know, the entire population. We, I, I'm really pleased. Um, I live in Medford, Massachusetts, a city, mm. a small city just north of Boston. I'm very pleased with what I'm seeing in the local response. Um, we have had these what we call micro pantries set up. There's one in my neighborhood. If you you know sort of envision the lending libraries, right, where they keep the books in these little tiny little houses, um, we have those. There's I believe three or four of them throughout my city. Um, that people just out of generosity uh, will stock and people who need um, will go and take the food that they need. So we have had a lot of efforts around those micro pantries, which are turning over probably a couple of times a day right now. Um, we also have a fairly new community market, which opened up last month. Um, and if you think about it, it's, it's really, it's a food pantry. I call it a food pantry with dignity. Um, you know, I've visited and patronized food pantries where I've walked in sort of left my dignity at the door, had to go and disclose all types of, you know, personal information to then go in line and be handed, um, you know, bags of food, which of course I'm grateful for. Um, but where there's no, you know, I, I couldn't select, you know, what I um, chose to feed my family. So this market is set up and they are operating a lot of food pantries, particularly the larger ones. Some of the smaller ones have shut down, but the larger food pantries um, are definitely uh, putting in the time um, and safely, as as safe as they can, distributing food um, to individuals and to families. How are those funded, Diane? I'm sorry, what was that? How are those uh, food pantries, either the micro or the, the, we'll call it the pantry with dignity, how are those funded? Um, So various um, funding sources. The one here um, in Massachusetts, and so the Greater Boston Food Bank is the the food distributor to the food pantry. So they are a member of the Greater Boston Food Bank. They receive their food from there. I know that before the virus hit, they were um, talking about sort of opening up their program so that they could receive money, um, I'm sorry, food directly from the USDA, okay. um, from their commodities program. Okay. And, uh, and I assume they are also, um, you know, working with some private donations. So this, um, this food pantry is up and running, um, and, and I'm so grateful. They, you know, it's really when you walk in there, you see there's fresh produce that's stocked. Um, one of the one of the challenges many food pantries have is that they don't have the capacity um, in the storage facilities to hold meat. Um, they have a few freezers uh, which are always stacked um, with meat. Which, as a patron of um, food pantries, I'm so grateful whenever I see um, because they're. You know, there is information and there have been studies done that say that one of the largest, um, well, it's, it's meat and fresh produce, right, right. As, that, that we're missing out uh, because a lot of food pantries don't have the storage capacity um, for that. Um, so we have that. We also, there are, the USDA um, thankfully has allowed um, some flexibility in communities to allow those uh, summer meal sites that are up and functioning. Because, again, the problem really is that some of these students who now, you know, in Massachusetts, where our schools are shut down for three, three weeks, um, I know that, you know, it's different everywhere you go, but that's probably pretty much standard. And some of these students, that meal that they receive, whether it's breakfast and or lunch at school, for some is the only meal that they might eat that day. 
And so the schools have done an incredible job. I know here in my community, I'm certain across the country, um, in setting up these, with very little time, setting up these summer meal sites for students. And and I just I want to caution everybody. Everybody should be engaging in their local communities to the extent that they can, keeping themselves and their families safe, but should be engaging in making sure that their entire communities are eating. And so what the summer meal sites are able, they're able to put food in the hands of children every day, right? But these children come with parents. The parents aren't allowed access to, of course, um, you know, school meals. Right. But what we really need to focus on is getting, making sure, because I know that some of the usage of these summer meal sites might be pretty low right now. Um, you know, when I look at my situation myself, basically I spent all of my money on food. It mm-hmm. didn't matter if it was supposed to go to my rent or my utilities or to pay my cable bill. It didn't matter. Every, every dime that I had, Trent, was spent on food. And so we need to really ensure that, again, there may be some forbearance, some forgiveness on some of, you know, of what's owed to, whether it's utility company, to, you know, even landlords. I've heard some landlords are saying, listen, I'm going to allow my tenants to, to ride this out for free for the next two months. I don't think my landlord is going to do that. Um, but, you know, I live in, in my home, my young adults, um, one, one is home, self-quarantined right now. Um, one hasn't been able to go back to work. People are losing jobs. They're losing income. And I want to make sure I know that my state is set up in such a way that people can apply for SNAP benefits online. Um, I want to encourage anybody who's experiencing a loss of income um, to see if you might be eligible. And and I wish that there was sort of a a national, you know, uh, or a place that everybody could go to one site to apply. Um, But here in Massachusetts, people can apply for SNAP online. But again, we are in the thick of this right now uh, and we need to be thinking about our low-income neighbors now but we also need to be thinking about them two months from now four months from now what has the fallout been and how are they doing so um, I, I have to jump in because all right so we're, we're talking about and i fully understand low-income people food affordability all of those concepts that we talk about often but when you start talking about um a landlord who is saying that uh, I'm going to either extend your payment or I'm going to let you live free for two months. You know, that landlord also has obligations financially. And I assure you, most people who own properties are are dependent upon people paying their bills because there's somebody asking them for the pay their bills. Mm-hmm. It, 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 there is no free lunch. And at some point in time, everybody has to pay the piper. And I'm just wondering how we see that whole thing even if it's coming from the USDA through a commodity program, the taxpayers, somebody's paying for that. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, there there needs to be more revenue to the people who are struggling to be able to buy the essentials of life. And that that's yeah, well, a real question, we, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, maybe we peel back some of these tax breaks that, you know, that we've handed out to the richest among the rich of us. Um you know, you know, I, I don't know I, what I, that means, Diane. Well, I mean, there there have been, you know, some pretty significant tax cuts to the richest among us. And, you know, that, that could fund uh, a lot of these things that we've got going on right now. That's, mm, 
you know, we could disagree on that. Um, you know, and, and I know. I don't know it, how that's going to help you. Well, I'll tell you what is going to help me right now is the security of knowing that our stores will be open, mm-hmm. that our food pantries will be open, and that our government is doing everything that it can to help support particularly low-income families. But again, everybody needs the support right now. Um, you know, I think I, I just spoke to an advocate in Houston the other day who was a, a big part of the response to the floods that they had down there. And she said something that really struck me. And she said, you know, the, the floods here in Houston acted as a great equalizer because it didn't matter what your right. income was. It didn't right. matter where you came from. But everybody was standing in, in you know, in, in the line to get a, to get a meal. Um, so, again, when I think about what are the opportunities here, um, I think about there are people who right now are going through the same struggles and the suffering that low-income people have. Maybe they come, out with, they come out of this with a little bit more compassion, a little better understanding of what it is like to go through that struggle every day. You know, you see these, um, you know, poverty simulators, right? So uh, what does uh, it feel? We'll pick it up with poverty simulators. We're halfway through. Diane Sullivan, my guest, roll route the program. We'll be back with more after this. It's Full Systems Go for the Pig Challenge at Exarbon this fall. The last weekend of September, Grand Island, Nebraska, Exarbon Stock Show is looking forward to your young people being a part of the tremendous event. This is the newest endeavor. It's the Pig Challenge. You're going to be given a Berkshire. Your kid will be given a Berkshire Barrow, then brings it back, keeping records, does an interview, really learns about the husbandry of taking care of an animal. You still have time to get in on this endeavor. Go to exarbonstockshow.com. Sign up. Do it this week, though. Sign up for the Pig Challenge. We're going to be distributing those pigs soon, and there's only 20 going to go out. So, two spots. You want one of those spots? More details at exarbonstockshow.com. And be thinking about entering the bigger show, but that you got a little time on that. Welcome back to Rural Route. I'm Trent Luce alongside Diane Sullivan. She promised to get me to an event in March, but she didn't get that done. Oh, wait, I went to England instead, didn't I? Wait a minute. That was me. Yeah, that now, was definitely you, Trent. <laughs> now we're in trouble because there are going to be no events for a while. And no events. Yeah. yeah. The, I lost four speaking engagements. That's my little wine for the day. Yeah, and that's, I mean, and that's your bread and butter. Like, yeah. welcome to my world, Trent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the difference, though, Diane, I've got like a lifetime supply of food, food? walking around <laughs> here on hooves. So, yeah. Uh, I'm uh, instead of going and hoping that there's more meat on the shelves, I'm amping up my ammo supply. Yeah, yeah, really. Which, um, by the way, this little bunkhouse that I'm broadcasting from, if you need a refuge, you can come and stay here and we'll feed you. Well, I appreciate that. I have already basically committed you to that. I told the kids the other day, I'm like, if yeah. stuff really just keeps going, like we are. Hopping in the car, and we are riding out to the Midwest. Somebody will take care of us. <laughs> so the last time that you were here, which was just after you were in D.C. testifying, I asked you the question, why don't you just pack up and leave? Because your cost of living and everything that you're doing would be so much easier in Sherman County, Nebraska, yeah. wherever, Tipton, Iowa, doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Has your stance on that changed today? Uh, no, later? my uh, Listen, I have... 
two children in high school right now. One set to graduate this year, although who knows if we'll see a graduation, um, and one next year. After that, I'm kind of, I'm open. You know, I just want to get my children through high school, let them graduate with their friends that they've, you know, come to know for years, let them finish out their years with their pediatrician here that they've been going to since birth. Um, And then who knows where I'll wind up. I might just sort of, I I could just spin the globe. I don't know. Um, But yeah, but, you know, I have looked at Iowa and of course I've been out to Missouri. I've seen the housing um, that is far cheaper than it is here. Um, much nicer and much cheaper, um, but who knows? Who knows where I'll where, where I will land? See, I'm saying the the uh, the meter on the barometer has moved. It's been moving. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. it's very expensive. Massachusetts is the third most expensive place. I hear to live everything in the you're saying. I just don't know why you stay. Because my community is here. This is you know I was born and raised here. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's what I know. And, and I have, I've, I've lived in Florida. I lived there for three years where housing is much cheaper. Um, the weather's much better. Um, but you know, when I came upon hard times, I came home. That's, you yeah. know, it's, it's what, you it, know, it's kind uh, of what we do. Let me tell you, I've assessed that if the weather's better than where you live, you have more neighbors and it's too crowded. That's just my summation. Yeah. That's why. North Dakota, Nebraska, you know, that's the place to be. <laughs> okay, I interrupted you to go to a break, and I think you're about to talk about a poverty simulator. Is that right? Yes. So, you know, there's, for instance, there's the SNAP challenge, right? You know, take a day or take a week and live off the SNAP budget, um, you know, where you're only allowed, I believe it's like a dollar forty per meal per person. Um, you know, and it can give you a sense for a day or a week of what that's like, but there's really nothing that, you know, can compare unless you're living it and living in poverty, not knowing where your next meal is coming from, not knowing how you're going to rub two nickels together, um, to come up with a rent. Um, you know, so, so I appreciate those who take on these poverty simulators. Um, but I do feel that what will come out of this, um, here, this pandemic is that people will have a much more real sense of what it is like. Um, to live in poverty. And, and even, you know, you could have thousands of dollars in the bank, but when you can't move with it, um, you know, there's, there's when the grocery, you know, store, when the shelves are empty, um, you know, that's kind of how we feel. We can walk into a grocery store, you know, the 40,000 items or however many there are in a grocery store. But when you're walking in without the resources um, to purchase them, it's it's pretty devastating feeling. Um, you know, and again, I'm sure others have done like I did, where they took every penny that they had and spent it on food to make sure that they could stockpile. Um, and, you know, I'm still waiting for the federal government to come out with we should be right now putting more SNAP benefits into the hands of recipients. Not only does it help to keep the public safe, because, again, when you're nickel and diming it every day, mm-hmm. You know, you're making multiple trips to the grocery store. We want everybody, you know, to the best that they can to stay home so that we're not spreading this disease. So we want low-income people to be able to stockpile like everybody else so that they can stay home and they're not making frequent trips to the grocery store. Not only does that help that individual family, but it's a huge economic stimulator trend. 
So every dollar that's spent in SNAP, it generates estimated between a dollar forty and a dollar eighty in economic activity. This is a way to keep businesses open right now. So I would love mm. to hear. Um, you know, I'm watching what's happening on the federal level. Um, but yeah. we need to be increasing SNAP benefits uh, oh. right now, effective immediately in getting them into the hands of low-income people who will spend them in their local grocery stores and will, will benefit this economy. Okay, you're not convincing me. I'm going to have to spend a lot more time listening on how SNAP benefits is an economic driver because well, somebody I, is paying for that. Yeah, I'm paying yeah. for that. We all, all, all mm-hmm. taxpayers are. Mm-hmm. Yep, myself included. H- how do you not see that as just a redistribution of wealth? Is that what you're supporting? Well, I'm all for a redistribution of wealth. <laughs> There's, you know, no doubt about that. I'm, I'm definitely um, a supporter of again, sort of equalizing. You know, really, let's let's let's. If we were to get everybody onto mm-hmm. a level playing field. Um, just how much better off all of us would be. You know, my health is directly related to you, right? The, the, if, if I'm doing well in my home, mm-hmm. you're doing better in yours. We, we are also interconnected, even though we're social distancing right now. Um, we, we're also interrelated. You know, again, this, this is something that I, that I have said and I continue to say when it comes to hunger. I have been blessed with the opportunity to go into the Midwest and spend time with farmers and ranchers, you know, an opportunity I never imagined that I would have. And I didn't know how I would be received because, you know, oh, here's this, you know, this urban lefty, you know, liberal. And and what I found, Trent, and, and, and consistently what I find is that at the end of the day, one common value that we all share, which is why, again, I think hunger is a, is, can be, just a unifier is that being able to feed our own families, of course, is something that we want for ourselves, but by and large, we want that for our neighbors too. Right. And, and and it's, you know, and it's, I, I, I agree. The question is how we get there mm -hmm. because I don't see the poverty simulator being the answer. Showing people who are less fortunate, if you want to call it that, uh, how to live in poverty is not the answer. The answer is creating opportunities that allows all people to be able to access the essentials of life more affordably. That's the answer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. I agree. You know, housing should not be so out of reach. Um, food, you know, again, in Massachusetts, I shared, we have expensive housing, but we also have the most expensive food in the country. Yeah. You know, we import more than 90% of the food that we consume. In the state of Massachusetts? In Massachusetts, yeah. I did not know that number. Mm-hmm. Yep. We import more than 90%. How many people in the state of Massachusetts? Oh, my goodness. Um, I would. I want to say about, uh, I don't even want to, I don't want to uh, give You want me to just verify <laughs> it instead of guessing? There you go. Because, <laughs> you know, I have the answer right here in front of me. Okay. Which I think is going to be the great challenge that we all, everybody says, well, we can just do this online. We can go to school online. We can work online. They haven't figured out the bandwidth issue yet. And when you push everybody yeah. to a different spot to go tap into the ho- the water hose, there's going to be more water demanding than the hose will carry. 
Mm-hmm. And I don't think people, they're figuring it out today, I'll bet. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, the Internet has slowed has slowed down for a lot of folks. Yeah. Six. Oh, you have 6.9 million people in Massachusetts. Okay. I was going to say six, but okay, yeah, that's, um, uh, yeah seven yeah. million. Mm-hmm. We have 1.7 million in Nebraska. In all of Nebraska, huh? Yeah. Right. Wow. And six million cows. <laughs> if that is a oh, motivation for you to relocate. I, I know. I was be. just thinking, here yeah. comes my relocation. <laughs> <laughs> I could use a good steak right about now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm telling you, the place is here. You just got to show up. I might even come and get you if I have to. Well, I keep trying to get you to come to Massachusetts. Is that what it's going to take? My my suitcase is packed. Yeah, absolutely. All right. I, I got a, a guy in uh, Delaware that wants some pigs, so that's closer than I've been in a while. <laughs> so two weeks, your Uber's going to come pick you up. Will you get All in? All right, awesome. I will get in. <laughs> um, yeah, so I did, um, I, and I wish that you were with me, but I did attend the... Um, National Anti-Hunger Policy Conference. That happened um, just before things really got crazy. When I was in England, you were doing that. Yes. Um, So, you know, it was interesting. Um, I did speak on a panel. Um, It was about, and I'm using air quotes here, storytelling in the media. Um, You know, it's a little bit awkward sometimes. You know, for me, what I've realized, I walk, any space I walk into, I'm making people uncomfortable. Um, and I'm, I'm becoming more comfortable with that uh, because what I find is that I'm usually, um, you know, I pose a challenge. Um, right. And if I disagree with something somebody has said, I'm not afraid to speak up on it. Um, and that happened uh, in the workshop that I was speaking at. Okay, you know, it, you're going to pick it up with the workshop you're speaking at at the Anti-Poverty Conference two weeks ago in D.C. We'll be back with more Diane Sullivan food affordability after this the all-american beef battalion continues to be in the front lines saying thank you well not the literal trenches of the front lines but on return or deployment to a foreign land you know think about this our military is around the world protecting our freedom and it's a nice time to just be home self-isolating there is no, or, or we call it social distancing or self-isolating. Which one do you prefer? There is no social distancing for the men and women in the United States military. They are there risking everything to protect you and my freedom. And for that, with the All-American Beef Battalion, we say thank you with beef. More details at stakesfortroops.com. Welcome back to Roll Route. I'm Trent Luce alongside Diane Sullivan. I just felt the need to have Diane on today to kind of bring to light what's what the thought process is in uh, the urban portion of the U.S. Medford, Pennsylvania, population 6.9 million for the entire state of Did I say Pennsylvania? You said Pennsylvania. Why did, did I do that? What a Freudian slip there, eh? Well... And if I were to move anywhere, I don't think it would be Pennsylvania. But is there a Medford, Pennsylvania? I have been. Oh, there's a. I have a very good friend that lives in Bedford, Pennsylvania. 
okay. But I'm guessing there's a Medford in about every state. Okay. Yes. Well, I am in the Medford in Massachusetts. All right. Medford, Mass. You also were at the Anti-Poverty Conference in D.C. You're part of a workshop where you scared everybody to death. Why? No, I didn't scare everybody to death. Um, I just, I speak my truth. Um, you know, there was, because of course, you know, in, in my work, when, when you're trying to advocate for, you know, resources for a program or whatever, of mm-hmm. course, what, what are people going to connect to? People want to connect to the people who these programs are impacting, right? I am able to share my story in a way that nobody else can. Um, and, and quite frankly, nobody else should try to share my story for me. Um, I'm able to talk about my story sort of in the context of how policies impact my life. You know, th- that's why I was brought to D.C. So many people could talk about um, and go and testify before Congress on the impact of taking food from children, right? Anybody could talk about that. But somebody who's living that experience right. um really is is the best author of that story, right? And so I was speaking in this workshop about storytelling in the media, because, of course, the media controls, you know, what people are thinking about and prioritizing. So we mm. want to get these stories COVID-19, into the hands of the prime example. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so really, how do we, um, with, Again, with respect and dignity, how do we share the stories of people with lived experience in a way that we can influence public opinion? You know, one of one of I think one of the best things that I can do um, as somebody with lived experience is to really sort of break down stereotypes. Mm -hmm. Um, Just a couple of weeks ago, I was at the Solomon Schechter School in Newton, Massachusetts. And if anybody knows anything about Massachusetts, this is a really rich community. These children, their parents pay $30,000 for them to attend their school every year, kindergarten through eighth grade. And so as I'm sitting there and I ask these children, I say, okay, everybody, you know, this is sort of an exercise that I do. And I ask them to close their eyes. And then I give them words for them to sort of imagine in their minds. And I start off with an elephant. You know, it could be, uh, you know, big gray elephant. It could be, a, you know, little pink stuffed animal elephant. But regardless, it's an elephant. And then we move on to, I say, homeless person. And I ask them without any filters and without, you know, without sort of stopping themselves from saying what really came to their mind. And the responses that I get are, you know, dirty, somebody on a bench, somebody's drinking. And and they have all of these ideas. This is what we have created in the society. When we see in our minds a homeless person we have all of these assumptions about what that person looks like, what they even smell like, right? Mm-hmm. And so then I stand there and I say, and when I said homeless person, did anybody see me? And they go, of oh, no, not. no. And I have to say, you know, well, I've been homeless. I've been there. And so it's really, you know, helping, particularly when we can connect with children, helping them to understand that poverty happens in every pocket of every county, everywhere in this country, people are living in poverty. And so really trying to make that connection for people. And again, I think if anything good is going to come out of this virus on the outset, it will be that people have a better understanding of what people who struggle every day 
in this country, what that looks and feels like, because they themselves will have gone through some degree of that. You know, when I explained to one of these students, I told them exactly what I received in SNAP benefits, the $187 a month. And one of the students, she kind of looked, you know, after she picked her jar up off the floor, and she said, you know, my mom hands me her phone and on her Instacart, you know, for me to just order some food. And we spend $200 every few days. Right. You know, just the stark difference and to really help these children understand um, and get a better sense of, you know, your privilege. How do you use your privilege to help other people if you're so inclined to do so? And, you know, I, it, which is, again, why I look to, you know, SFA groups. And, and I'm, again, I say this all the time, so impressed with how agriculture is developing leaders. And, and how you all go about doing that, you know, Team Purebred, still one of the most impactful visits that I've had was with the young adults from Team Purebred. Uh, and really, these are the folks, the young adults, the children, um, that we need to be connecting with on these issues. So uh, this is going to seem off the mark, but it's not, I don't think, in my mind, and I want your opinion on it, because I saw so many people, I actually had an interview scheduled with Bill Bloomberg, or Mike Bloomberg, <laughs> um, on Friday, the day after he bowed out, because I was in England, I flew back to Newark, and I was going to be in New York City, because I, was, I was spoke in Connecticut on that Saturday night, anyway, I reached out to his campaign crew, and they agreed to do an interview with me, mm -hmm. and obviously... They sent me an email on Thursday morning saying, sorry, Mr. Luce, uh, Mr. Bloomberg has bowed out of the race. And then I saw so many people on uh, social media railing on this guy for spending $500 million trying to get elected president and then just bows out. And I'm like, why are you complaining about that? He just put $500 million of his dollars into circulation, which means that there was a ton of people that – got paid for services they provided. He, somebody reaped the rewards of this guy putting $500 million into circulation. And I think mm -hmm. about the, the young lady, while she can't relate to you living on SNAP benefits with $187, she's putting $200 into circulation, which is creating jobs. And to me, it seems mm -hmm. like this is what we should embrace. People spending more for what they want and creating opportunities for people to work and be a part of a productive society. I, I think that things are all tied together, don't you? Yeah, I mean, I don't, you know, I, I a friend of mine, she uses this phrase, listen, I can't count anybody's money for them. You know, I, I don't, there's, let me see, I don't look at, you know, this student and her parents and mm -hmm. say, oh, you're part of the problem. No, absolutely. You're spending $200 every few days. You are. You're keeping people employed. Um. What I have a problem with is... By the way, I think that's horrible parenting, but that's not my place to judge either. Go ahead. Right, because you can't count anybody's money for them, Trent. Exactly. Um, <laughs> I'm going to steal that phrase. You know that, right? <laughs> um, but, you know, it's not... There's not this resentment. There's, But I need people who are able to spend $200 on Instacart every couple of days to understand that people are... You know, that's for some, that's their entire food budget for the month. Mm -hmm. You know, and, 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 and when we start to understand that, then we can look at policy solutions. And, you know, maybe it is, what does a living wage look like? 
if, if it's not that, then is it how do we supplement the incomes of low-income people? You know, and how do we do that? Through programs like SNAP, through programs like Section 8. Um, you know, and I, and I, I know you are not into, you, you don't, you don't think subsidies should exist at all for anybody. Um, for anybody. You, you said it before for airlines, for, you know, for individuals, but when you have people who are, you know, out there working full-time jobs and still unable to provide for their families, we, we have to consider that, you know, we have to look at, okay, then what is it? How do we then lift you up, um, to ensure that it's at the very least you're able to feed your family, mm-hmm. um, to keep a roof over your head. You know, again, I don't, I don't resent anybody's, anybody else's money. Um, I don't want their money. I don't want their sympathy. What I want and what we need is policy solutions that ensure that people have at the very least their basic needs met. And See, again, I, which I is, think, I think, Diane, that's where you and I have our biggest disparagement. And that's the distance between the thought process of the solution. Because we agree on the solution. And food affordability is the top of the list. In my mind, I think policy only creates more food unaffordability. Because what brought you and I together was a policy in Massachusetts that was going to cause people to spend more for their food. You show me a policy Mm -hmm. and I'll show you a, a higher cost of living. When we had fewer policies in this country, people had the ability to pay for a living or their living wage was able to go farther. The policy right. is the I, problem, not the solution in my mind. Yeah. I mean, it depends on the policy, right? You know, it's sort of, you know, obviously, um, you know, what you're referring to question three here right. in Massachusetts is, you know, the efforts of special interest groups that want to basically regulate animals out of agriculture. Um, and, you know, and they will, they were successful. And as of next year, and again, I said, when I went into the grocery store, and I saw a cage-free egg sitting there. Can you imagine, like, how that makes me feel that I spent so much time and energy trying to get the people of Massachusetts to understand how just how unjust um, question three was, basically outlawing, um, making illegal probably the most affordable and accessible source of protein. Um, you know, these these children in the uh, at the school that I went and spoke to. They themselves um, took a SNAP budget, and they, they didn't actually have to go and shop, but they, you know, went on online to look at grocery store prices, and they were given a SNAP budget on which to shop. And one of the students identified right off the top, I asked him about that experience, and he was like, oh, my goodness, thank goodness for eggs, you know, because yeah. that's the only way that I was able right. to get some protein on this limited budget. Right. You know, and this is what I was trying to get people in Massachusetts to understand and say, hey, listen, you all are shopping with your wallets. Let's keep it that way. And then when I go into the grocery store in the middle of a pandemic and I'm seeing cage-free eggs and I'm saying, oh, my goodness, you voters, you don't even know what you've done to yourself. Because still, question three is not in effect. It will be next year, um, you know, unless something is done. And I, I haven't seen or heard anything um, that's did, going to change question three. Did you change, they take have, a picture of those eggs in the cage? Of course. I posted it. Yeah, I posted it on Twitter. Oh, oh that's my my bad. I'm going to use <laughs> yeah, that. All right. Diane Sullivan, <laughs> always a pleasure. Thanks for taking the time to join us, and thanks for continuing to be loud. We need you to be louder. (laughs) Thank you, Trent. Always appreciate you. And we will be at a meeting soon. I promise.
We've journeyed down the road connecting rural and urban America, both Diana and myself remind you that all roads do lead to a rural route. And before I let you go, I want to remind you about Team Loose, our pig operation. I mentioned our certified Piedmontese cattle deal. Now we're selling pork by the piece, or this time of year it's show pig season, and I have quite a few gilts bred for April. I got what you want when it comes to spots or burks in the pig world. Burke Pork Chops, have you had one? Give me a call. Let's talk about it. Team Loose. Go to Team Loose on Facebook. All the details are there.